I'm so excited this morning because we have someone that's going to be here with us today to bring the word of God and that no stranger to us, but now from the West Coast, but really from the East Coast, we have Pastor Bobby Nemeth here outdoors. Come on, let's give it up for Pastor Bobby. Come on. my heart with you all, some things that I was talking with Pastor Chris about. It was just such an honor when he gave me the phone call and said, hey, I'm going away. Do you want to preach? And I said, sure, I will definitely take this opportunity to share with you all to come back really to home. And this is such a great place to be with so many familiar faces and friends and family. Just so honored that I would have this privilege to share with you all for just a few moments. This year has been incredibly challenging. I mean, I started off 2020 with real purpose, with real vision, because it was set up for us, 2020, right? What do we all want? We all want 2020 vision. I'm thankful that I have 2020 vision, but I still have to wear glasses. So some of you are like, how do you still have to wear glasses? I have an astigmatism. So the whole world for me is just a little bit out of focus. It's just not quite as sharp as it ought to be. But I want to have 2020 vision for my life, for my calling, for my family, for my church, for everything that I do. And so you know what I did? I said, I'm going to put my vision board. I'm going to make it prominent this year. I'm going to start off January, right? In fact, I started in December. My birthday's on the 26th. And so I just said, you know what, Chris? We're just going to start right in the beginning on the 27th. We're going to hit the ground running so that we enter into 2020 with the year of victory, with the year of celebration. And we're just going to look back at the end of it with all these just wins. And so January comes along and I'm winning. I'm rocking it out. Like, I just have, just like all my goals, all my decks. I had weekly goals. I had daily goals. I had monthly goals. And I was just checking off all the boxes. But there were rumors that something was happening on the other side of the world in China. No big deal. That's somewhere far away. Then February hits. This thing starts moving west. It's in Europe now. But it's okay. I'm still pushing forward with my goals. Then March. Well, we know what happened in March. Whole world just got turned upside down, and that's why we're wearing masks, and that's why we're sitting so far apart from one another. And what we realized is that this snow day became a blizzard, and now we're in an ice age. We're in a whole new way of thinking about the world around us. And in the midst of this great tension, what happens? The deep embedded social issues in our nation, in our country, were further exposed. And so now we, have, now we have this personal social strife. We have this political strife. We've got this unrest within our society and, 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 and our culture and everything. And, and we're just like, what in the world? 2020 has brought with us a host of issues. I mean, we've had like a decade's worth of events happen in what, just the span of like six months or so? I mean, it's just like, what? Really? I mean... Hope has been hard to come by for many in this season. And the question is not, when will this all be over? Because I know that's what so many people are asking. When is this all going to be done? When is this going to be finished? But I want to tell you that's not the question that you should be asking. The question that you should be asking is, how am I going to persevere through this season? How are we going to push through these storms? How are we going to navigate these strange waters in faith? 
in hope, in the confidence that our God is leading us and is never going to forsake us through every situation. I know we're all tired. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. I'm emotionally exhausted because we haven't had to deal with a situation like this for a hundred years. It's unprecedented. It's not within our living memory right now. But I know we're going to get through. Remember what Paul writes to the churches in Rome. He says this, that we can rejoice too when we run into problems, right, and trials, for we know that they help us to develop what? Endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. This happens how? This hope will not lead us to disappointment, for we know that how God loves us so dearly because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Especially as Pentecostals, we should be the people just filled with hope, filled with passion, filled with the love of God. Because here's the thing about the Christian. Here's the one thing that we should always be oriented towards. We should always be oriented not towards the past, not towards the present, but towards the future our hope should be confidently shaped by the hope of salvation. We know what the end of the story is like no matter where it ends for us in our journey in this life. We know that we are just one breath away from an eternity. Why? Because the very breath of eternity has filled our souls through God's Holy Spirit. This is the gift that he's given to every single one of us as we've come to trust him. And we know that through every situation, God can use the trials, the tribulations, the ups and downs, the valleys, the wilderness, the peaks, the mountains, whatever it is, to form us into his image and likeness through his Holy Spirit. And through today's passage, I hope, my prayer is, to take us through a journey to learn something very important. Something that the greatest king of Israel had to cultivate in his soul through very difficult situations, through these wilderness moments when we're lost and wandering, when we're in the valleys of the shadows and in the fleeing and the fighting, something that he never forgot because he forged it into the core of his very being. And that's worship. Worship is the key through every situation. And here's what worship is. It's prioritizing the presence of God in your life. Worship is the priority of the presence of God in your life. I know that sometimes when we read this book and we get to these first few books, you know, Exodus, Leviticus, and, you know, some of you are like, I still am in Leviticus. I've never gone through it all the way, right? Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you're like, you know what? These are a little bit slogging through. I'm like, I'm just trying to work through them. I want to tell you this. I want you to read when you come to these texts like this. Why is God so concerned about how you sweat, how you work, how you act, how you live? Why is he so concerned about all these things? Because God believes that all of life is worship. When you live your life before God, it is worship. And this is ultimately what David figures out, that if he can present himself constantly as a living sacrifice, as constantly seeking God, if he prioritizes his presence and does what Paul says, to think, to reflect, not on the things below, but on the things above. And I get it that the things are so in our face right now that it's all we can focus on. But I want to tell you, if you look up, if you get focused on the future, on the hope that God has for us, 
then I believe that we'll be able to persevere because God is shaping us and forming us into his image and his likeness. God is using every single thing in our lives to shape us and form us for his glory. So today we turn to Psalm 63 and to hear David's cry as he's in the wilderness, running from his enemies, and ultimately how he is going to orient his soul in these troubled times. So follow along with me uh, in Psalm 63. Do we have the text up there? Guess not. Oh, we do. Yes. All right. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary. And behold your power and your glory, because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, and singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you, and your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me, they'll be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. If you were following along in your Bible, what you would have noticed in Psalm 63 and in a number of other Psalms is that there's this little writing right below the chapter that's called a superscript. And a superscript is provided to us by some of the Psalms, and it gives us some helpful information. Sometimes it tells us who wrote the Psalm. Sometimes it tells us things like, this Psalm should be played to the tune of so-and-so, which we have no clue how it sounds, unfortunately. Sometimes it tells us a little bit about the historical context. So what does this Psalm tell us? That this was a Psalm while David wrote while he was in the wilderness. It's a period when he was fleeing from Saul as he was trying to kill him. And then the second part of the psalm is what you're typically used to encountering. And what's that? It's the script. It's the poetry that's below in the verses that we just read. And so the superscript here provides us with an essential piece of information that helps us to set the historical context for this psalm. David is writing while he's in the wilderness. This is the valley of his journey. This is the difficult place. It's the place of trial. It's the place of tension. It's the, the wilderness is not a city. It's not a town. It's a hot place. It's a dry place. It's a rocky place. And it's meant more to be a dwelling for animals than it is for people. Shepherds could drive their sheep through the wilderness, but what were they looking for? They were looking for pasture or they were looking for wells for water. They were not looking for a dry, rocky, hot arid kind of place. Essentially, this is the place that you pass through. You don't camp out in the wilderness. And the question is, as you're going through the valley, as you're going through the wilderness, as you're in your journey, what are you going to allow God to do in your life, in this situation, in this season? Whenever we think of the wilderness, the immediate thing that should jump to your Bible, to your mind as a good Bible reader, is the wilderness experience of the Hebrews. Remember what happened to them? They were led out of Egypt 
with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm of God, and God sends not one, not two, not three, but ten plagues. And there was this final plague that God sends upon the Egyptians. It's the plague where he sends the angel of death over the, uh, over the land of Egypt so that way every firstborn would die. But those who had the blood of the lamb over their doorpost, what happened? They're saved. And those are the people who get liberated to go into the, out into the wilderness to do what? To worship God so that they could journey into the promised land. Wow, this wind's moving. I'm going to wind up losing my notes. That's awesome. All right, here we go. So if I lose my notes, just get ready because I don't know how long it'll take. <coughs> Could be here for a while. All right, so, so they're running through the promised land. But here's the problem. God leads, them through the, God leads them out of Egypt, brings them to the Red Sea, parts it for them. They go through the other side on dry ground. It crashes in on the Egyptians. The Egyptians are, are, are killed. They're destroyed. They're humiliated in the midst of this. And then what happens? Israel grumbles. They cry, they complain, we don't have food, we don't have water. And then when they get to the mountain where God is giving them the law, where he's giving them the great gift, he's saying, if you want to know what the right thing to do is, everybody says, I want to know what God wants me to do in my life. And then God laid it out for them, word by word, line by line. He says, this is how you're supposed to live for me. You want to know what to do? Just read the books. That's it. Just listen to the people who will tell you what it says there. And and you'll be good. It'll be good for you. And what do they do? They worship the created, rather than the creator, because they build idols to worship rather than enter into, God's, uh, enter into God's promises and receive the gift that he wanted to give them. You see, the wilderness was supposed to be the place that they passed through on a 12-day journey, but what did it wind up being? The place that they inhabited for 40 years. It became the place that many fell because they allowed their circumstances to determine their view of God. Don't let the wilderness define your view of God for you. Don't allow these trials and these tribulations to say God is distant and he doesn't care. Don't allow these moments to say that God is not good and God is unconcerned with us. No, you know what God did? He wound up leading them through the wilderness with what? A pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. What else did he do? He gave them manna from heaven. He gave them quail from meat. He gave them water from a rock. Victory from their enemies. And he guided them through this hostile place that they were passing through. And it says this in Deuteronomy about them. About this journey that they went through. And in the wilderness, here's what you saw. How the Lord your God carried you just as a man carries his son in all the ways which you have walked until you came to this place. They're ready to enter into the promised land. And here's what God was doing. He's just picking up his child and he's just carrying them through the wilderness despite their obstinance, despite their disobedience, despite their rebellion. God is carrying his people through every trial, through every storm, through every single situation. This is how much God cares for us, that he wants to see us through every single wilderness situation. He wants us to take the posture of children and, and allow, and we need to allow ourselves to be led, to be guided through these wilderness seasons as we're willing to draw near to him. Our travel through the wilderness is going to be dependent upon the posture that we take because there are lessons to be learned in this journey of faith. Because they forge something in our souls, and God wants to do that in our lives. Think back on your story. When have you seen God show up and show off? In the mountains, in the valleys, on the plains? Our ability to draw near makes all the difference. I know that I think about, as I think about 
my present life. And I think about the times that the Lord has showed up mighty. Two years ago, I was in a really difficult situation. I had gone to the doctors. I was experiencing some interesting symptoms that I wasn't sure what was happening. So I said, let me go get it checked out. Everyone said, this is a good thing to get checked out. I said, okay, yeah, I probably should. So I go to the doctors. Um, I tell them about my symptoms. So every time I went like this and I got up, I got really lightheaded. And I'm like, this is not good. So what's going on here? So they do an EKG, and the nurse puts the leads on me. She runs the test. She goes, wait one second, I need to go get the doctor. That's the moment in the doctor's office where everybody freaks out. Because it's like, why can't you handle this? You're a trained nurse. You're, you're, you, you went to school for this, and you need the doctor? That means there's something seriously wrong going on here. So the, so the doctor comes back, and she goes, how are you feeling right now? Do you have these symptoms? Do you have this symptom? Do you have this symptom? I said, no, 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 I just have the complaint that I came in with. She goes, okay, hold on, let's just run the test again. She repositions the leads on my chest. She sits me back up, and she goes, are you feeling this? Are you feeling this? Are you feeling this? Are you feeling this? I said, no, I'm not feeling any of these things. She says, we need to get you to the hospital right now because you're showing all the signs of a heart attack. I'm 33 years old. I trained martial arts several times a week. At the time, I was really lean. I was doing good in life, and all I did was I was experiencing lightheadedness when I got up, but somehow now, they're saying, oh, you have a heart problem, and it's not an insignificant one. I spent the next several months trying to figure out what in the world was going on with my body. What in the world is happening? It, you see, in the wilderness, your faith gets tested. Your relationship with God goes through a stress test. Every valley you thought you had previously walked through, you realize was just a divot in the road compared to this current one. And the question becomes, what is your posture going to be in this season? Because the wilderness is no fun place to be at all. It's not an easy place to be in. And here's the thing. If you miss this, you may not grasp all that God wants to do through you and in you in the wilderness. It's not simply what happens to you in the wilderness. It's what God wants to do in you through those wilderness seasons, to form you into the person that he's calling you to be. And what we find is that if we allow the Lord to carry us through every one of these seasons, if we allow these times to be times where we draw near rather than drift away, as it says in Hebrews, if we don't dr drift away, but we draw near and realize that these, these obstacles are just opportunities to level up, then my goodness, we could become the people, as Paul says, that are predestined to be conformed into the image of the Son so that he would be the firstborn of many brethren. Because think about Jesus in his wilderness experience. He's tempted, he's tried numerous ways as he's fasting in the wilderness for 40 days. And then each time he overcomes the devil with the word of God. And then it says in Luke's gospel that he was led by the spirit to go into the wilderness. And when he comes out, he's full of the power of the Holy Spirit because he was willing to trust in God and lean on him. I mean, it's just this amazing catalytic experience in his life. And we can allow it to be that same thing in ours. And this is what we learn about David. Despite his imperfections. I mean, you, you, you look at the story. He enters into the palace and what happens? Takes Bathsheba. He kills Uriah. That's, that's her husband. He then, he then allows the rape of his daughter to go unpunished. And then he takes a census when God says, don't take a census. And it caused a plague to go upon the people. I mean, you think about all these mistakes. Yeah, yeah, we look at David and we read what the scriptures say, that he's a man after God's own heart. Here's the one thing that David was excellent in, drawing near. 
He did not allow his mistakes to be like what Adam did. What happened when Adam sinned? He goes and he hides in the garden because what happened? What did he do? The sound of God walking in the cool of the evening. And so Adam hides. But what's David do when he sins? He draws near. He says, God, I want to be with you. I, want to, I, I need to repent. I need to forgive God, I need forgiveness in my life. He was excellent in worship. David crafted in his soul the heart of worship in the wilderness. David begins his journey in the wilderness as a shepherd. And then as his brother sees him coming to the battle against the Philistines and the Israelites, what does he say to him? He says, listen, why did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? Like, what was going on? Why are you here? Are you just here just to see the battle? Stop this nonsense. David was a shepherd in the wilderness, and while he was there, it seems that he became really excellent at one thing, and it was playing the harp. In fact, he gained so much notoriety on that. When, when the Spirit of the Lord left Saul and an evil spirit came upon him, someone said, listen, maybe if we get a harp player, here's what's going to happen, that the, that the spirit will flee at the sound of the harp playing. And so then they said, David, he's a valiant man. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's mighty in power, a great warrior, and he's excellent at playing the harp. And they bring him to Saul. And then when the evil spirit comes on Saul, what happens? He plays the harp, and then the spirit leaves him. You know what David learned in that moment? That worship becomes the key to us being set free. Worship becomes the key to us being set free. And David learns this in, in the presence of Saul. And here's what we learn as Christians, that if the sun sets you free, what? You're free indeed. This is the promise that all who are willing to draw near to him, he's willing to draw near to us. That's James 4, 8. That as we flee temptation, the devil, our adversaries, and we don't drift away from the Lord in these seasons or in any season, these can become opportunities for our character to be forged and hope to be just driven up inside of us, for our hope to be built on God. For if we learn that he's with us in the valley of the shadow of death, then what do we have to fear? Think about it. If we truly believe that he's our living hope, what do we have to fear? No thing. Not nothing. No thing. There's no thing that you have to fear. Sometimes I don't think we understand what nothing means. It means no thing. So think about a thing. Don't be afraid of that thing because you have God with you, living in you through his Holy Spirit. So in Psalm 63, David is most likely fleeing from Saul, the first king of Israel. God anointed Saul as king of Israel when the Israelites demanded that they become like the other nations. We want a king. And, so, and Samuel, the prophet, says, ah, oh, I'm so upset about this. And, and God says, listen, don't worry. They rejected me. They didn't reject you. That's an interesting moment there. But Saul, despite looking the part, doesn't live up to the potential that he had. He falls from the Lord. He was a head taller. He was real handsome than everybody. And he doesn't obey the Lord's commands. And so the presence of the Lord left him. And at one point in his disobedience, the prophet Samuel said to Saul, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom will what? It will not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. That's 1 Samuel 13, 13 through 14. And so David was that man. David made a point of saying to God, you are my sole priority. Your words are better than life. And so in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of him coming to God, how does he begin? He begins with God, you're my God. That's where he starts because that's where worship begins. Worship 
always begins with God. And you know what happens? We have a tendency to pervert worship. And you know how we have a tendency to pervert worship? We make it about us. I do this. We do this. So if the shoe fits here, don't worry. It fits on me too. We say things like this. Oh, the music was so good today. It was so easy for me to enter into worship. You're telling me that the quality of the music depended upon you glorifying God? I do this too. Don't worry. I'm preaching to myself here. But I mean, that's what we do. What do we say? We say, oh, I didn't like that set list. Those weren't good songs for me to worship to. Really? I thought we're glorifying God. I thought worship's about him, not about how I feel, not about my preferences. It's about him. You see, here's the thing. David understood what worship was truly about. Worship is about lifting up the name of God above every name. It is the priority of his presence above everything else. It's the declaration that God rules and reigns over every situation. So when we make our preferences greater than him, we've inverted worship to make it about us and my preferences, and what it needs to be is about him and the position of my heart. Because he says, listen, I don't want bulls and goats and sacrifices and fastings. I want you to come with me in a contrite heart and just be open and willing and say, God, I need you, and God, I love you, and God, I worship you, because you're great and you're mighty and you're worthy to be praised. You need a lesson in worship? Read Revelation 4 and 5 and 7, and as you read through those, you will see what true worship, the worship of eternity will look like. Amazing things. David understood that worship is about God first, and no matter what my circumstances, no matter what I'm walking through, no matter what obstacles are ahead of me, God must have first priority in my life. God says that he's going to seek, David says that he's going to seek God earnestly. That's what it reads here, but maybe some of your translations have something like early, and that's actually what the idea here is. It's like David, David says to God, you're my priority. Like when I take my first breath in the morning, when I wake up and my eyes are open, I want the, next, the very first words in my mouth to be from you. Thank you. God, you're great. And God, you're amazing. And so from early in the morning, he's saying, I just want to worship you. And I just want to lift you up like, see, like seeing God before the sun comes up. David says, before I take my first step, before I start my day, before I break my fast to eat, God, it's your name that I want to be exalted in my life. And guess what he even goes on to say? He says, my, my, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. My, my, in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Think about this. He's in the wilderness. What do you lack in the wilderness? Food? Water? And he says, God, I need you more than the very things that will sustain my life because I know that my breath ultimately comes from you, not from myself. You see, worship is about him and acknowledging him as first, not me as first. There isn't a grocery store. There may not be a well or spring for water. These are necessary for life. But David knew that we are more than just flesh and bones, but we are created by God and for God. As St. Augustine said, God, you've created us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. Before Jesus ever spoke these words, or, or before Jesus ever spoke a word, he knew that we were created for a relationship with God. Because what's Jesus say? This is what eternal, this is what God wants to do. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. 
And this is eternal life, John 17, 3, that you know the Father and the one whom he sent. David knew that promise from Jesus before Jesus ever spoke it to his disciples that we are created for connection with God. We are created for relationship. We are created for intimacy. And it all stems from us prioritizing his presence in our lives. And David learned that he has to prioritize God's presence like water in the wilderness. And that is where we have to begin, with the priority of God's presence, with seeking after him first and foremost. If he's not the center of everything, then we truly have nothing. We have no thing. And what we have to do is we have to begin to cultivate his presence in our lives. The only thing appropriate to the response of this revelation of God is what? David says, I'm going to praise you with my lips. I'm going to bless you as long as I live. I'm going to lift up my hands. These are all acts of worship with our mouths, with our body, with our whole self, with our whole being. And David says, this is how I'm going to do it. He continues, and for David, this praise and remembering, this posture of worship is just not a moment in the morning. He actually says, I'll remember you on my bed. I'll meditate on you in the watches of the night. And so he starts in the morning. He finishes in the evening. And basically what he's saying is the whole of the day is for what? Drawing near. There's never an opportunity where you can't draw near. I promise you this. You could be in a business meeting. You could draw near. You could be on a Zoom meeting. You could draw near. You can be in your, you could be in the shower and you can draw near. Wherever you're at is a good time for drawing near to God. And those don't have to be like 35, 40 minutes, an hour. You can just say, and just, in just this moment, God, I just want to acknowledge you. And I just want to draw near to you with my whole self. God, I just want to acknowledge you that you're the king of my life. Lord, help me to live for you and reflect that. That's what we have to do. We have to just practice drawing near consistently. So many of us know this. So why in the world, when we go through difficult situations, do we turn to so many other things than God? Why in the world... Do we not persevere through the trials and tribulations? Because we know that our ability to overcome is going to be dependent on our posture towards the Lord. I really believe that we struggle with something that child development theorists call object permanence. All right, so stay with me. I know I threw a technical term at you, but stay with me. Maybe you've never heard of this before, but stick with me for a moment because I guarantee you at some point in your life you have played peekaboo, right? You have played peekaboo. Peekaboo is this amazing game that you play with a child, right? You go up to them, and you're talking to them, and then you cover your face. And you go, peekaboo, and then they get all excited and surprised. It's not just at the sound of your voice. Here's the thing. A child at a certain age, if they don't see something, they don't think it's there anymore. If they don't see something, they don't think that it's there anymore. And so they lack something called object permanence. And so here's the thing, what I truly believe. Children struggle for this, and sometimes in the wilderness, sometimes in the valley, sometimes through the trial, through the storms of life, things are so in front of our face that guess what? That we just focus on those rather than the author and finisher of our faith. We don't see God, because we can't see God's face, we can only see the trial, we actually only focus on the trial instead of God's face. We think that God's distant and he doesn't care when actually he's really right there in front of us. This thing is just in front of us, and so we're just like, oh, well, God must not be there because I have this trial in my face and I can't see him, but really God's saying, no, 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 I'm just right there, and I'm not playing 
silly games with you in the midst of this, because here's the thing, here's the situation. If we believe that Jesus is the author of our story, right, church? Jesus is the author of our story, then we know what? That God, that what God has led us to, God will see us through. That even though we took a wrong turn, even if we were wandering and we went astray, the great shepherd and guardian of our souls is going to do what? He's going to leave the 99 and he's going to go after the one. That even when you get yourself into the mess, God isn't going to say, oh, well, don't worry, I can't help you in this situation. You got to get yourself out of it. That's not the God whom we serve, friends. He's the God that when we call, he answers and he comes to our rescue to heal, to save, to deliver. God is not the hide and seek champion of the universe. Actually, he's really lousy at that game because my Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 13, that if you seek me, you will find me. So guess what? This is how God plays hide and seek. It's like with an infant. All right, one, two, and then he hides in the most obvious spot. And then the child turns and like, oh, I found you. That's how God plays hide and go seek with you. He hides in the most obvious places because all he's saying is just seek me. Just search after me. Just find me. And you will. I promise you. It's just us taking that posture of saying, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. So let me close with the story I was telling you about before. So I'm dealing with radical chest pains. I have this electrical abnormality in my heart, and no doctor has any clue what's going on. But it's causing me so much fear, so much anxiety, so much stress. It's completely wild. Just ask my wife, ask my family, ask my friends. You could ask my coworkers here from Evangel when I was here. They know the situation that I was going through. I cried, I prayed, I sought God. And still, I was in one of those moments when you feel like every prayer is just bouncing off the ceiling. So I'm reading through Colossians. And there's just this little verse, Paul saying at the end of the letter, Colossians 4.13, or 4.12, sorry. And it talks about a guy named Epiphras. And in the translation, it says that he wrestles in prayer for you often. Now, many of you, many of you may or may not know that I train Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I've been doing so for five years and so I, I, that's what I do. It's my hobby. I, I, I tell people all the time. I strangle people and I break their limbs and we do it for fun. It's great. We love each other after it. So it's a great way if you, like, if you, if you ever want to strangle someone, come to jujitsu. You get to do it for, for fun and then you, you'll hug each other afterwards. It's a great experience. So I'm doing announcements on Wednesday night prayer. And I wanted to exhort people with a word as we were doing, as we were just kind of transitioning. And I just wanted to say, hey, listen, friends, you know what? There are moments in life where we're just in, where, where we're just going to go through trials. We're going to go through valleys. And then here is a great place to wrestle in prayer. Because every wrestling person actually needs to learn to spar first. You need to learn to train and equip and, and kind of learn how to do it. And guess what? Wednesday night is a really great place to do that. So here, let me plug Wednesday nights for you. If you need to get equipped in prayer, if you want to get trained up in prayer, come to Wednesday nights. The best place where you're going to do it, you're going to get with a bunch of other people who are going to do this. They're going to do intercessory prayer. Let me, let, me, let me just simplify intercessory prayer for you. It's just joining hands with other people in prayer. That's it. That's all you're doing. You're just joining hands with other people in prayer, and you're just going to go to the Lord together. And so I'm there, and I'm saying, you know what? I train in grappling, and you know what? We need training partners people who we can work the moves on and people who we can just kind of wrestle with and there's nothing violent about it. It's just beautiful. But I said right now, I, and, and then I was just going to say, and this is what this space is for, but for some reason, the whole moment just sh shifted on me. And I just said, but right now I can't train jujitsu. Right now I can't do any of that. Why? 
because I got this heart issue. I just broke down crying. I, I didn't intend to share any of this on that night. It was completely just spontaneous. And then here's what happened. I just began to break down. I cried. You all rallied around me. You prayed for me. The presence of the Lord came on me. And, and I want to testify that since that moment, the Lord's given me a great measure of victory. And I could celebrate that, you know, I, I haven't had a serious event that I've had to go to the hospital for since that moment. I mean, it's an amazing thing in my life. And it, it's just awesome that I was in this wilderness. And guess what? People just came around me. And they prayed for me, and it was this awesome thing. So if you're in the valley right now, I just want to give you three things in closing. Three things, real quick things. Three things, so I want you to walk away with three things. Number one, in the valley, don't stop seeking him. Prioritize his presence. I want to tell you that. That's the most important thing. Do not stop seeking him. Prioritize his presence. Number two, don't believe in the lies of the enemy that God is distant and doesn't care. He's nearer to you than your next breath. I promise you that. I believe that the scripture is very true, that God is with us. And if he's with us, who can be against us? Number three, sometimes when we're in the valley, we can't take another step on our own. Sometimes when we're in the wilderness, we don't know how to persevere. Here's the thing. Sometimes, you know what we need to do? We need to get alongside of people who can come alongside of us, join hands with us in prayer as, as we're seeking his face. That's so important. So don't go through the wilderness alone. You don't have to. You don't have to do this alone. This is the whole beautiful point of being a Christian. It's not about you and Jesus. If you, if you thought that, you're wrong. It's about us and Jesus. He's coming back for his bride, his body, which has made up this wonderful, beautiful people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And we get to do this journey together. This is a beautiful thing that we get to do. So grab people with you. I want to tell you, I want to give you a real easy step that we can make this happen for you in your life. If you're going through a difficult situation now and it's financial, as Pastor Rick was talking about, if it's job related, guess what? They have a small group where you're going to get to walk alongside of other people, join hands together in prayer, and join that group, that walking through the wilderness group. Do that now. You could do it on your app. You could talk to Pastor Roy, or you can, um, or you can go online, and there's a number of ways that you can do that. So I want to give you that direct step and, and take that. Take that together. If you're walking through something right now and maybe it's not financial, come to Wednesday night prayer. Log on on Wednesday nights and get together with a bunch of people who are going to rally around with you and help to walk with you through these trials and these storms. Let's close and pray. Why don't we just stand as we just close to pray and just take a few moments to seek God, to draw near to him. God, we're so grateful for the fact that you love us, that you care for us, that you invite us to draw near to you. God, you said that if we seek you, that we will find you. That if we draw near to you, that you will draw near to us. So today, God, we're just going to take the posture that David said. We're going to praise you with our lips. We're going to raise our hands, and we're going to say, God, I'm drawing near today. God, I'm not going to do this alone. I'm going to do this with you, and I'm going to join hands with others around us. And God, we are going to worship you together, and we're going to draw near to you because we know that we need to prioritize your presence. So God, we pray that you'd help us, strengthen us through your Holy Spirit, and let us realize that you have a hope, that you have a future plan for us because you love us and you care for us. Thank you, God, for this wonderful and beautiful and amazing gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church. Have a wonderful day. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Bobby.